I should have been recording that. My bad. Did I boost something up? No, no, no. That has nothing to do with you. Not directly, at least, I guess. This weekend, I finally was able to use a laser rangefinder for disc golf. Ooh. I Did you have, u- like, a friend some, who had one, or do you splurge? No, us, using some Amazon gift cards from Christmas, I decided that's what I wanted nice. to use to buy it. Yeah, it was really fun. It's it's helpful for a lot of things. The, f- the most obvious being, hey, I need to throw from here to there. How far is it? Mm-hmm. On, on courses that I tend to play, most of the time that's not a big deal because if you're playing, like, a par 3 you kind of roughly know where it is from the tea basket or from the tea pad to the basket. Mm-hmm. And you know, on a par three, ideally you're not, you know, you're basically only taking one throw to do that, but it helped me on you know the course that I tend to go to confirm distances. Turns out the T signs are mostly pretty accurate, um, but it also tells you elevation change, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was cool. There are, there are a couple of times. Hmm. How does it tell you elevation change? Uh, it has a, I guess, accelerometer. Ex- yeah, yeah. So oh. when you every time you every time you click to measure, it tells you the the um, number of degrees off the horizon you're tilting it to look at your target, and then it also tells you the up the vertical distance based on that. That's cool. Okay. So you get a sense for like how far is this actually playing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it it is neat and. Uh, uh, there were there are a couple holes where knowing where I was like even just getting a sense of like hole one at this course is like a huge uphill hole and it mm-hmm. always takes me two throws to get there like it's just not possible for me to do that to get it all the way there it's far it's way too uphill but it's mm-hmm. helpful then like I always land in around the same spot and it's helpful to be like oh wh- every time I get to around this point I know I'm around 190 feet from the hole mostly on flat ground at that point as long as i get up the initial hill mm-hmm. and and i was like helpful and now i kind of know that and can plan around that but the other thing that it's useful for is up until this point the only way that i've ever been able to measure how far i throw is using the udisc app which uses gps and you have to like say okay like hold it for 30 seconds wherever you started and be like okay confirm this starting point and then you walk slowly to your disc mm-hmm. and you let it calibrate and you say okay i'm here and then it tells you where you are and by all accounts it's probably it gives you a good general idea but if you care about specifics then it's not that good right it mm-hmm. tells you right away that it's like margin of error is like could at its best is 10 feet right and depending on how good your reception is or how fast you walked or whatever, how long you decided to wait, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. Versus a rangefinder, I am pretty confident that its margin of error is about a foot. Wow. At least that's the impression I get from like research about it and everything. Like no one's concerned that like it's a laser rangefinder. No one's concerned that it's yeah. like margin of error is like in the high single digits of percents. How how easy it is to like point at a specific thing. So because I got a nice one, it's very easy. It is like, there is a single button that like you click to turn it on. And then it has, um, just a dot in the center that shows you in like little crosshairs. And it tells you exactly where it's measuring and you click the button and it measures. 
mm-hmm. like a a worse one you would have to hold that like position for longer which is hard to do like if you're trying to hit the one spot on a basket that is like big enough for you to measure from and and actually i learned that this thing i don't actually have to be quite as accurate as i thought like i could kind of just shoot at the general basket and it managed to hit something to a sufficient degree that it would measure even if i wasn't hitting the exact like top part that is like facing me that is clearly a thing to target Mm -hmm. all that to be said it's like once i know that i got that dot there hit it it measures and my hands can be a little shaky and it doesn't really matter okay i think it's says that its range is like 950 feet or something like that dang so plenty far for anything i'm gonna do <laughs> i was gonna say i doubt there's many holes longer than that i mean there are some that are or longer than that you can see the total. basket the whole time yeah but even then actually it's, its range must be longer than that because there is hole nine at this course which is what i'm gonna get to is a long straight hole there's like one tree part way down but in its farthest location, it's a par five at about at a little over eleven hundred feet. Dang! And it did measure that basically correctly based on the T sign. Mm-hmm. So its range must be actually longer than that. I just don't remember exactly what it is. Either way, this is the one hole on this course that is like for anyone. It is one of the few holes that's completely on flat ground. It's pretty wide open. It even has like. 100 foot markers set up along the right side which is like Mm -hmm. a big tree line so you really don't want to go over there but it has those roughly laid out so you kind of get a sense of how far you throw Mm. and so i've used that before and i've used the udisc app to measure my throws on this hole before and so i had a pretty good idea of like when i max out my throw like how far am i throwing but on saturday a I, i hadn't played in a while so i was like i don't know how i'm gonna do but I, I three throws in a row. I was I like just felt very smooth. I threw the like three different discs like exactly how I wanted to throw them, and I went out with my rangefinder and confirmed that I had thrown them at 451, 469, and 472 feet. Nice. Which felt really good. It's pretty consistent too. With the with the U disc app, the farthest I've ever measured a throw is 475. And I was like, but that could still be, like, 465. Like, who really knows? Like, I, I based mm-hmm. on, and it was on this hole. And so I knew that I was getting close to the 500-foot marker on the woods. But then it's still, like, how exactly correct are those? Who actually knows? And when you're not, like, like, that's along the wood line. But if you are mm-hmm. farther off from the wood line, your actual distance from the T-pad is different, Right. Because it's like an arc, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, so it was helpful to, like, know exactly where I was. And then from that point, I could then also measure, like, oh, how far am I from the basket? Like, let's confirm that so I can plan out my next throw. And it's just super fun. Like, it's just a fun tool to have. It should last for a super long time, you know. It doesn't really run out of batteries very often because it turns off after five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's just it'll just be, like, a fun tool to have for a long time to just help me zero in and it's almost like i can practice better when i'm on the course because i know better what i'm doing Mm -hmm. and as i'm throwing different discs even when i'm warming up i for the first time ever i could like throw a disc and actually see how far i threw it 
Yeah. And over time, I can, like, like when I go back and visit Minnesota, or even here, I could probably find some open area somewhere. Not in the city, but I could try and find somewhere, like, a couple of the fields that I played baseball at. I know that they have some open fields that I could maybe throw a disc at if I go there during the right time on the weekend. Mm -hmm. And using those to do kind of the opposite of, like, to learn, oh, I think I can throw this disc uh, this distance, right? Mm -hmm. And then actually check, did I throw it that distance? And how do I kind of zero in on that is actually going to be really helpful, I think. And just kind of fun. Like, it's fun to have that, like, specific way to practice a skill. That's cool. Sounds like a fun gadget it definitely is um the the marketing finally got me because they've been like the main channel on youtube where i watch disc golf stuff uh they've been like bushnell has been a sponsor for a couple years now Mm -hmm. And and it was like i started watching disc golf around 2020 maybe a little before i don't actually remember exactly when i started but i started watching it and it was within like a year that all of a sudden like no one was using a rangefinder and then all of a sudden bushnell realized hey we think that like we can corner this specific market like they make hunting rangefinders and golf rangefinders mm-hmm. right just regular golf rangefinders where things are measured in yards and they must have said someone must have said like hey i bet we can very easily just slightly modify this to be specific for disc golfers where all they care about is it's measured in feet or meters you can switch to meters um so measuring feet or meters and give them elevation Mm -hmm. and that's like what they want and we can sell this and sure enough it's been like super popular and pretty much every disc golf like every professional disc golfer now has a range finder that they use at least some of the time if not all the time Mm -hmm. because before then people were just kind of like relying on their general depth perception i guess and just being like, yeah, that's probably this far. Or I think I can throw it there with mm-hmm. this disc, I guess. You know, and like you would, you would, they would, pr- like actual professional disc golfers have time to practice before a tournament and and like zero in on that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But having a tool to help you with that, like, makes it a lot easier. Just kind of elevates repeatable. everyone's ability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So you're tool. happy the marketing got to you so far? I am. I mean, it was a thing that I always knew I wanted to get at some point. Yeah. I just, like, it's like $150. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't willing to drop that money on it just, like, on a whim at any point. And I always had, like, other things to focus on saving up for or whatever. But having, like, a few Amazon gift cards was like, okay, this has reduced the effective price to something that I feel like is actually worth it to me. Mm-hmm. And... And honestly, now that I have it and thinking about the ways that I can actually use it, I'm like, man, part of me wishes I had purchased this like a year ago. Mm. Because then during time, say like when I'm back in Minnesota and I know that I have the whole hayfield of the farm to throw discs in (laughs) whenever I want, I can go out there with like traffic cones or whatever and like set up my own little driving range and do exactly the kind of like specific practice that I just mentioned mm-hmm. of like, I want to throw this disc this far and can I do that consistently? Yeah. So yeah, very happy with it. Cool. Any other exciting parts of your life these days? That's a, that's a good question, Grant. I actually did have another thing I wanted to ask you about. Fire away. What is your 
background experience, I guess? Experience with either comics or graphic novels. Other than this podcast? Oh, yeah. I, like, as in, like, long form. Right. So more on the graphic novel, but let's say something on the range from, like, an issue of comics, like superhero comics kind of a thing, uh, up to graphic novel. I'm gonna say the only experience I have was a class my freshman year of college when we read a book that was a graphic novel. Is that freshman year? Yeah. I read one sophomore year. What did you read mm-hmm. freshman year? Uh, it, I don't or is this, remember. Do you mean, you used to say high school, right? Oh, college. college. Oh, I was going to say sophomore year communications in high school. We read, we read the first half of Persepolis. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, then two. Posting okay. classes when I was required <laughs> to read them. Okay. Yeah, because I don't remember the one from high school like at all. Okay. I don't know. The one from college that I remember, it was like a positive experience. It was, mm-hmm. I didn't have any issues with it. Sure. I don't know. I was just curious. So I, uh, okay. Are you familiar with the general media property called Watchmen? Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, like it was like almost 15 years ago now, a movie came out, right? A Zack Snyder yeah. film. I never watched that movie. But I, it had been on my list to watch for a long time. But then just the other year, HBO came out with a show in the same universe. And mm. I just started watching it like Friday night. I didn't know anything about it. And I started watching it and I was very confused because it didn't align with the bits I had heard about Watchmen, the movie slash the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Or technically, I think it was just a series of comics that is now sold as a graphic novel. And so I had to kind of quickly look up the very basics of the TV show to learn that it is it it's in the same universe, but late, but after the events of the movie slash the comics. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, well, I want to watch this show, and I know I can watch it on its own, but I also want to experience the story. Mm-hmm. And so I started watching the movie, but it's like a three-hour movie, and it's a Zack Snyder movie, and it's just long. <laughs> Yeah. So I think I got 10, 15 minutes in. I was like, never mind. I'm not going to spend three hours doing this <laughs> because there's too many slow motion scenes. Yeah. <laughs> it just gets on you. It's just you know? like gratuitous. Yeah. When I watched 300, we watched that at Jack's bachelor party. That was fun. Like I could watch Watchmen in a group with the right people. Just like I would, just like I had fun watching 300, uh, another Zack Snyder film. <laughs> Yeah. In in like a group of guys, like it was fun. I wouldn't watch it on my own. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to like it's not going to be your alone on a Friday night. No. So I just <laughs> I just realized today that there's just like easily accessible, like not even like sketchy like on internet archive um PDFs of The Watchmen uh like full series of comics. Mm. So I just uh, downloaded that and started reading it today. Because I've, re- I've read a few other graphic novels, basically just saw the aforementioned Persepolis. And then one of the podcasts that I listened to, The Adventure Zone, which is like an actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Mm-hmm. They then have released, um, over the years, graphic novelizations of the different oh. parts of their first campaign. Mm-hmm. And those have been really fun. Like, I, I buy them each year. Like, I pre-order them each year when they come out. And they're just fun. Like, it takes me all of an evening. You know, they're like, 
it's like a 250 300 page graphic novel but it's one of those things where if you're just sort of reading it as you go along i know the story i enjoy the visual gags that they put in but it takes me like you know three, two to three hours to get through and it's just fun mm-hmm. um, and then i have them and it's fun and i'm glad i supported them and so the Watchmen comics, I think, are going to be similar, where, like, the whole PDF that I have is, like, 400 pages. But I know if I just sit down, I can, like, enjoy it over the course of a weekend without it being too much. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, cool, I got the story from the source, I understand the world now, and I can go yeah. back to the TV show happy, ready to go. And be more angry about it because it's not matching up. <laughs> well, it's it's, again, it's not meant to match up, it's just meant to be set in the same style of universe they're not internally consistent would that have been a better phrasing then no i think it is meant to be it's just that like i didn't know much about either going into the show right i'd never seen the movie i'd never read the comics i i thought the tv show was a like tv version of the comics and thus a like tv adaptation of the movie let's say where it was telling the same story, but not in a three-hour version, but in, like, a ten-hour version, so that it can be more full, right? That was my mm-hmm. assumption. And then I got I, I was, I got 30 minutes into the first episode, and I was like, man, like, I know so little about The Watchmen, but I know, like, four or five character names, and none of them are showing up, and this seems to have nothing to do with, like, what I what thought I, it did. You know? Yeah. That's <laughs> so what I, I assumed find, was going to go on. Yeah. And so I finally looked it up and they're like, oh yeah, this is meant to be taking place in like, so the Watchmen takes place in 1985, but like, you know, an alternate version of 1985. Yeah. And this TV show is meant to be taking place in 2019 in that same Watchmen universe. Okay. So it is like, it is just meant to be like, hey, it's the, it's the same universe, but it's like 34 years in the future. Yeah. And I think, like, there's the original Watchmen comic book series that turned into the movie, but there's been other comics written by the creators in the same universe. Mm-hmm. And so the TV show might be basing it off of some of those other characters that were introduced after, like, the initial series that established everything. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't looked into it that much, though, because I don't want to, like, spoil the TV show for myself. So, all that to be said reading some graphic novels i kind of agree of just like i i think it's a fun medium it's nothing i seek out really Mm -hmm. but like there's probably a time where i would have been or an an alternate version of me that would maybe be stuck up about like reading comics or something and i'm glad i don't feel that way i'm glad that it's like i mean i'm never gonna seek them out like stuck up and negative about it yeah oh like in the same way that That like me I don't like I I don't think I ever actually was that way, but I can picture a version of me <laughs> that became that way. Mm-hmm. In the same way, I can picture like, like you can I, imagine an alternate universe. Yeah, like I I know that I I would have predispositions towards like, you know, looking down on people who uh, listen to audiobooks instead of quote unquote actually reading. Mm-hmm. Right, the difference between or like even more simply, just like opinions on people who spend a lot of time playing video games versus doing other things mm-hmm. and and i'm past that and so I'm, I'm glad that i can just kind of enjoy the bits that i come across like in this case watchmen like i i've read you know i, I got like 20 pages in today and decided never mind i, I should finish the book i'm currently reading uh, <laughs> before i distract myself with this but those 20 pages very well done very impressed cool 
Yeah. Yeah. I've always been like, I don't know, impressed with comics or graphic novels, but I don't really know why I've never gotten into them. To me, it feels like one of the takeaways I had when I was reading the one for the class is like, this was a lot of work. Yeah. Like, that's exactly I, how I feel too. Is like when you it, go through like a page, especially like, you know, like this sort of the graphic novel that I, that I went through, like, or that I'm the Watchmen one, you, you go through a whole page. And, and part of the reason I like them is because they are so movie like and visual, right? Mm-hmm. Like books are, are a medium that I love. And I love thinking about how you have to describe a scene or a feeling, but there is a very powerful way that the the actual imagery of a comic can like show something mm-hmm. very directly. And there's like a whole page that is nothing like there's no dialogue, nothing written. It's just imagery progressing the beginning of the story, mm-hmm. and it's just like, dang, like a lot of work went into these six images yeah, to be very specific in what they show. And it is just a lot of work. <laughs> it feels, or from what I remember, it felt like I had to, I, I felt more like responsibility to, to this is going to sound stupid, but like to read it well, like to, cause like if you're reading a book, like even if you're like not paying attention, I feel like it's still, easier to pick everything up without thinking about it or to pick up like x percent of it without thinking about it but Mm. i feel like with a graphic novel because there's lots of like visual storytelling that can go on it's a lot easier to like shut your brain off and just zone past it and like just miss a ton of like work and a ton of info and a ton of nuance and like interesting things well i think it's more like with a graphic novel it is more evident, like it's more in your face what you could be missing. Mm-hmm. Like you can breeze through it and literally just read the things and glance at the pictures and be like, oh, this person's saying that and just read it like it's a regular book kind of uh, or like a script, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you're faced with every single one of those frames. You are faced with like there's clearly more that went into this. And mm-hmm. I agree that, like, you should, like, you feel the responsibility to, like, spend the time to kind of read the Im- like, process the images in addition to everything else. Mm-hmm. Versus with a book, the act of reading feels to be the whole point. And there are definitely books out there where, like, you could do the same thing. Like, if you are, yeah. so- are someone who does, like, does close reading and almost like the sort of person who would... um who could create the footnotes for an annotated version mm-hmm. of like, oh, this author is very well read. And so a lot of the passages that they do are pulling from other pieces of literature, the references to other things that really add color to what's going on. But if you don't know or care, odds are the book, you get most of what you want out of like 99% of what you want out of the book by just reading it. Mm-hmm. You know, and all the, all that other effort that went into it is like a fun to know thing and may add some more color, but most people aren't aware that that's even a possibility in a book mm-hmm. or it's not designed to be looked into that much further, I guess, versus a graphic novel. It's like, you know, there, there is a lot of like, 
in Watchmen, there's a lot of like they're walking down the streets of New York in 1985, and there's a lot of little signs, like partially obscured signs, on the street, like on a brick wall or whatever. As the characters walking by, it's like this isn't in your face. There's a little bit of a sign that if you're kind of careful, you can see, oh, these letters are cut off, but it clearly says this, right? Mm-hmm. For example, one of the most, like, I, I don't know if they're going to directly address this later on in the book, but one of the signs that I noticed is um, it's cut off, but you can clearly read that it says, like, Nixon, four more years, mm-hmm. right? But it's 1985, Right, Nixon had already served like two terms throughout the seventies, right? So if it's nineteen eighty five and Nixon is being elected again, mm-hmm. clearly something has happened with term limits. So what's going on there? And there's like a lot of stuff like that that's hidden around that's harder to do with like a book. Yeah, it's harder to like add that like subtle things like that into a book. Exactly, you either have to write it in directly. <laughs> In which case, it's smacking readers in the face. Yeah, or it's so subtle that only someone who's, like, studying the book is going to bother to find it. Well, this is a bit of a non-sequitur, but Grant has brought a comic by Wiley Miller. (laughs) Um, We have a slightly older couple sitting or standing. Uh, on the side of a road near crosswalk uh, we got a, a classic traffic signal pole in on the corner with a little button that you can press but the two uh, signs the one facing the way that they would be walking says react and the other one facing you know 90 degrees says overreact and uh, uh, the man on the left wearing a, a lovely brown sweater, is saying to the woman next to him, Yes, I do think cable news has too much influence on society. Why do you ask? Yeah, so, so Mark, in this, uh, in this comic, they're, as I think you can pretty clearly tell, uh, they're discussing how kind of cable, cable news like, kind of manages society and kind of has this, exerts this serious control over society. Um, and like, I'm sure for those at the top of cable news, it's very satisfying to be able to kind of exert such control and manage people in that way. Uh, but I was wondering, Mark, how do you feel about cable management? (laughs) I think cable management, almost like a thing for Instagram influencers. Every time I see a picture of something that is cable managed particularly well like on reddit because i I subscribe to a couple of subreddits that are basically like desk setup pictures because they're just kind of fun to see and every time i see something that's really good i'm just kind of like man you put too much work into that and it 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 just seems overdone and impractical Mm -hmm. part of it is to me most cable management can only be done through the assumption of a very static setup. Okay. Just like any, like, because when, when I think of cable management, especially if I'm thinking of just like someone's desk, that's just the mode I'm in right now. Like there's other like, you know, 
home entertainment areas or whatever that is all also cable management related and that feels more doable because it is more static typically Mm -hmm. what i think about my desk and i have like my laptop and that's my main computer so i have to plug it in somewhere every day because mm-hmm. it's not always plugged in here. I don't have a desktop that I use anymore. I use a laptop that I plug in to my display. Mm-hmm. I also need to plug in a dongle because I need to get at, also connect to the computer. I need like my webcam and my keyboard and my mouse and this microphone and yada yada. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I have these cables and I need to do something with them. And I, I don't want them all over the place. But I also need to acknowledge the practicalities of my situation of like, where do these where do these cables need to go? Am I going to like buy specific length cables so that they precisely fit without any like looping or anything? No. Um, so it's like, I think cables management is, can be fun for certain people and that's great. But I think... When it's done too well, it is like you. It's like you must do nothing important with your desk, and the most important thing you did with your desk was cable management. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, or, or you get one of those cool desks that have like just like a cable cargo net or something equivalent where you can just mm-hmm. toss all the excess cable you want and it's neatly ma- and it's quote unquote neatly managed which means it's just in a huge rat's nest but completely hidden from sight yeah yeah and that's cool i guess mm-hmm. um but i don't know so, sometimes i want to do more cable management but i don't really care that much okay i'm gonna ask a follow-up question that you've already kind of partially answered hmm. but i want you to answer slightly more directly and I'm going to I'm gonna like add a note afterwards, okay? So just hmm. prepare yourself. I'm ready. So the question I'm going to want you to answer is to talk about your relationship with cable management or cable management's role in your life. And I want you to answer this with the knowledge that a company with a manager who no one listens to and everybody talks over at every single meeting is still managed, just not necessarily managed in a way that most people would think is great. So any any degree of by cable management I mean I know you own cables and I know they exist. Just mm-hmm. not like telling you to like but like anything okay, I'll, I'll touch no on I'll touch on three separate management. things. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I'll touch on three separate things. Right? There's the desk, there's our TV area, mm-hmm. and then there's all the other cables that exist in our apartment, right? Yes. So on my desk, I have uh, the standing desk, the sit-stand desk that I originally got for Aaron back when we were both working in the apartment. It's now the desk that I use. And I have a power strip, Velcro command strip, whatever, to the bottom of the desk. Okay. So that it can go from sitting to standing and all the cables that are part of the desk are all self-contained. And then mm-hmm. only that one cable from the power strip to the outlet needs to be able to move. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's a long enough cable that it can go from sitting to standing, and it'll dangle a little bit if it's in sitting, you know, and get closer to taut if it's at standing. But it's perfectly fine in both scenarios, and everything else is its own unit. And I think that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Like it is nice to have this like self-contained aspect of the desk environment, 
that everything is like connected to this power strip and then just the power strip needs to go somewhere. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. I mm-hmm. do wish that I could contain things a little bit better, but I do a pretty good job keeping cables like out of my sight when they're not necessary. So I have this like wooden riser. Again, Aaron got this, but it is a like it covers the back half of my desk and is close to the width of my desk and it is just a slab of wood on some, you know, metal columns that just gives me like an extra shelf layer essentially on my desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was originally, it's one of those sorts of things where you could use it to like, if your monitor was on a stand to make the monitor yeah. stand taller. Uh, my monitor's on a VESA arm. So I get all of this shelf space for free essentially. Mm-hmm. So on it is like just a bunch of stuff. But underneath it, on the left side, is where I hide my cables, essentially. Okay. So hiding in the bottom left negative so you're a space. Hider. In a way, I it is managed, right? So there are cables that run that have to run to the monitor, and the VESA mount for the VESA arm that the monitor's on has some like cable management sleeves that run along it. Oh, okay. <laughs> what? But that's very minimal. That is more like, again, that that is so that the cables don't come directly out of the monitor and dangle everywhere. It is like, I, I could try and take a picture. I'd have to like reach behind it. It's really not that impressive because I still have the HDMI cable that plugs into all this. Or it's yeah. like, I think it's actually USB-C to like, it's either to HDMI or DisplayPort. It doesn't matter. But like, it's mm-hmm. too long. I still have to like, it's still like, I can see it. It's beneath the monitor, you know, circled up and zip-tied. Yeah. <laughs> or not zip-tied, but twist-tied into a bundle that just dangles, you know, because that's just how I had to do it because there's mm-hmm. too much of it. Um, but the uh, it's mainly the, like, dongle that has all the extra stuff plugged into it. So I have it so that the dongle has everything except the display part. And the display is its own separate cable. Uh, it's, that's just because the dongle that I had, the HDMI port is not very good. Or maybe the HDMI mm-hmm. cable I had wasn't very good. But this USB-C to display cable is solid. Okay. Um, so I just have that separate. And then I have a USB-C dongle that has like, excuse me, it has USB-C power in. So, you know, I have like a charging cable or, you know connected to that and that power brick is plugged into the power strip also connected to it is whatever keyboard i happen to be using right now i'm using my mechanical one so it's wired i have this microphone cable you know that connects to my microphone and that cable is always plugged into the dongle and when i'm done recording i like move my microphone back because it's on a little you know Mm -hmm. arm that i can move so i move it out of the way i unplug the cable from the microphone and keep it like you know you know loosely connected to the mounting arm for the microphone so that it's mm-hmm. easy to plug back in. I also have a USB-C, um, just a USB-C cable that is plugged into one of the ports on the power strip because the power strip has like several just regular um, outlets, but also has four USB-A just like ports so you can plug in spare random charging cables. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's plugged into there and it routes behind the back of my desk and then underneath the shelf. 
so that if I happen to need an extra USB-C cable, I can pull this out and use it for something. Um, my wireless charger is also connected to one of those underneath the desk, and that's like the like wireless charger, the cable that connects the wireless charger to the power strip is like, it must be a 15-foot cable. It's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> so that one's also very much like wrapped around, twist-tied, hiding behind the desk somewhere where I can't see it. Yeah. I've I've never understood, like, okay, I I understand and I can get a desire, but I, like, don't understand the, like, realities of having something like that because I know of a lot of people who have had, like, 10 or 15 foot cables intended for charging a device mm-hmm. and i've always considered getting one because i was like maybe that'd be really nice mm-hmm. but i never have because i've always had the thought of or that would be annoying as heck it just depends on your use case it was useful for me in my old apartment because i put this wireless charger near my bed uh-huh and so it was nice like it, it had plenty of slack to like stretch from where i had it plugged into an outlet to next to my bed because i used it at that time i was using like google's like sunlight alarm kind of thing that like mm-hmm. pixel phones could do where it would like light the screen up bright yellow in the morning yeah and do like a whole morning routine thing now it's just it's a usb like a micro b cable and i don't have many of those left so this thing like that's what plugs into the wireless charger and it's like it's one of the few i have left it continues to work super well up until recently it's what we needed to use to charge our kindles now both of our e-readers are USB-C, but this thing continues to hang around because it's a i like the charger it's like a vertical wireless charger so it props my phone up so that i can just oh, kind of see it okay so it um, sounds like vertical yeah or, you know, whatever, no, it's no, no. 75 I, degree angle. Yeah, I totally get what you mean. The second you said it, I was like, oh, how did I not intuit this? Yeah. Um, I, I have my... options that made no sense. Maybe the weirdest thing about my setup is that I... It, it actually works out nicely. So on the MacBook that I have, both the USB-C ports are on the left side and the headphone jack is on the right side. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like that because traditionally like a a, an over-the-ear headphone sometimes it'll only have one um Mm -hmm. like the cable only connect to one side and it's almost always the left side and so having the port on the right side is dumb and also if you have like your headphones coming out of the right port then like using a mouse on your right side can be annoying depending on it people find that annoying that's fine for me though because i keep my laptop on the left side of my desk oriented so that the USB-C ports are on the back Mm. away from me and that's where they plug into the dongle and the cable for the display and those are just away from me Mm. and then immediately on like right next to me is the headphone port Mm -hmm. and so whenever I need headphones I can just plug them in and they're like close by but they're to my left because the laptop is on the left yeah and so they stay out of my way Hmm. so yeah that's my desk situation is like it's a mix of it's a bit of organization, like there, there is some level of organization, but it is also like I'm mostly hiding the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. The TV we did a mu- again, the TV area we did a much better job because it's way more static. Within a couple months of moving in, we had everything we were going to have. Like we have our sound bar, mm-hmm. we have like an Apple TV that Aaron got, the Switch, um, the TV itself. We had to add, an when I got an antenna, uh, 
receiver. I had to add that in. But we have, like, you know, all the ports on the TV are on one side. So we have, like, a big cable sleeve to contain it all. Yeah. And then it runs all, you know, the stuff that needs to run to, like, some other place goes down. Like, the Apple TV and the Switch are both on the left side of the TV. Or the right side of the TV, actually. If you're facing the TV, it's on the right side. So all those things are on the right side so that the cable runs can kind of hide behind the stand or the table that the TV is on. And then we, again, Velcro command stripped the power strip um, mm. immediately behind the TV. Mm-hmm. And so all the power stuff can just like be twist-tied in the back if needed and just go to this power strip. And that's mm-hmm. probably like, it's still not super pretty, but the sound bar that we got sits beneath the TV and completely blocks any view to the back wall. So it is pretty. So it is basically hidden. Yeah. I mean, the TV stand is just a regular table. So like if you're like, you can look up from behind it and see like the power strip and stuff. Yeah. And part of that is like kind of convenience of like, we need to be able to access it sometimes. Yeah. And normally you can't see it. But yeah, typically speaking, it's like if you're just sitting on the couch, you can't really see it or you see a little bit of the power strip, but you don't notice it. Yeah. And if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. If you can't see it, it doesn't, it can't hurt you. Exactly. If it doesn't exist, it can't hurt you. Yeah. Uh, all the other cables <laughs> in our apartments are roughly, you know, wound up. Most of them probably aren't twist tied, but I'm not sure. But they're all in just one bin thing, like a fabric bin thing underneath the coffee table Mm -hmm. so they're not organized they're just kind of in there whatever if we have need for something we can typically find it because we don't have that many extra cables yeah but yeah that's just kind of all the spare cables and power strips and all that sort of stuff are all just kind of down there Mm -hmm. okay when we started this topic after your first uh go at my questioning that you had (laughs) i was 100 percent surprised because it wasn't what i expected but 100 percent certain that you were that you were just like living in a rat's nest of cables just like (laughs) running everywhere completely unorganized and i was baffled uh i was like oh my gosh this is the opposite of what i expected from mark and then you started describing things i was like oh no this makes so much more sense this is exactly what i expected uh (laughs) I totally misunderstood what he was saying at first. Yeah. I'm certainly not the sort of person that, like, is prepping something for a tech demo or, like, taking pictures. Yeah. Like, I don't think... You're not like, trying to If I were to try and take internet. a picture or show something, it's not looking good. Yeah. But, but it's set up in a practical way that was, like... It doesn't... I put in the minimum effort for it to not be a mess. Yeah. Right? That's a good way of saying it. And for it to not be an eyesore... But that's it. Those are more, uh, yeah, those are better ways to say what I was thinking. (laughs) As opposed to my old, like my apartment in San Diego, you may recall that there's no Ethernet or anything. So I had to run Ethernet cable across the living room or around the living room and then into my door. (laughs) You know, into all that stuff. And the cables, that was a more static setup. And I still probably did worse in like organize like managing the cables underneath the desk top of the desk i don't think was too bad actually um i did a pretty decent job there but it was real bad underneath the desk and that was more visible there than it is here Mm -hmm. 
Cool. Um, do we do we want to have an awkward segue <laughs> here? Or are we good? I mean, we're probably good with that amount of time. But if you want to read the comic just for the sake of reading it, you can. Yeah, I guess. Or you can just say no. It's fine. I don't really care. I don't know. Back in the day, we'd do stuff like this by Eric Scott. <laughs> Back in the day, by Eric Scott, we would sometimes do stuff like this. I don't know. I, I am not, my heart's not <laughs> in. I'm sorry. Uh, we got. It. Uh, no, this isn't rat. This is just a mouse in from back in the day. I think. Uh, Could be like a possum or something. I don't actually possum. know. Possum. Let's go with possum. Uh, and it's walking along. It's looking up, and it sees a branch overhead with a uh bees bees hive a hive hanging from it uh the possum walks up to the hive and says hey beatrice what do you want to do today do you want to hang out beatrice flies out and replies (laughs) and then hanging upside down from the tree branch still looking at the beehive uh beatrice replies you don't have to ask me twice beatrice didn't say that oh sorry yeah, a possum. Did my, no, my voices were consistent, though, right? The voices were consistent, yes. Okay. The attribution was not. Yeah, I started saying it in a weird voice, and then I suddenly noticed <laughs> that uh, the voice was the voice that would have been great for a bee. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially a bee named Beatrice. And so I was like, let's just lean into this being bad. Mm-hmm. 